The opinions expressed on the ACB Media Network are those of the content providers and should not be viewed as an endorsement of any product or service. Nor does it reflect the views of the American Council of the Blind, its elected officials, or its staff. Good evening and welcome to Tuesday Topics. I'm Paul Edwards, and we have a somewhat diminished crew. Um, I'd like to to thank Herbie uh, for doing our streaming for us. And Herbie, if you're minded to uh, to express opinions throughout the evening, we have a rule on Tuesday topics that says that unlike other streaming programs, we encourage our streamers to get involved. So feel free to do so. But thank you, sir. Not a problem. Excellent. And the the only other of the uh, of the famous thousands of, who are involved in the Tuesday Topics production <laughs> crew, who is here is is Miss Marianne. Miss Marianne, how are you? Hi, Paul. I'm good. I'm well. That is you. excellent. But of course, we know that tonight it isn't Marianne and I that count. It isn't Herbie that counts. It isn't the absent Brian Charlson who has COVID and is feeling awful. It, it isn't the absent Larry Gassman who's off at CSUN uh, enjoying himself. And, and it isn't um, Rick who is off doing personal things that's important tonight. It is you out there in Zoom land because you, we hope, will be responsible uh, for telling us some of the topics we will be talking about in the first hour and a half. So what what we're going to do in just a minute is uh, is recognize hands for people to start us off on a topic. Later in the program, during the second hour, we will hear from the Employment Committee that kind of made its debut on Tuesday Topics a while ago, but they've been doing some pretty cool things, and, and we wanted to give them a chance um, to talk a little about some of the things that they'll be doing. And just before I relinquish it, I'm gonna say something about the next two um, shows because I want to encourage you all to be sure to be here. Next Tuesday on the 21st, we will have Eric Bridges as our guest. This is his very last day at the American Council of the Blind. From then on, he will have become the executive director of the American Foundation for the Blind. So I thought it would be really cool if I could persuade him and I was able to do it. Thank you, Eric. Um, to come on the program, kind of review where where uh, where he has gone in ACB and, and perhaps give us a sense of where he thinks we are and, and where he thinks we can perhaps go. And then the next week, we're going to have David Trott as our featured guests to talk about uh, a seminar that he hosted as part of the uh, ACB meetings in DC, which I was at, having to do with memberships and money. So we thought we would talk about those two important components of ACB two weeks from now. So that has given people lots of time to raise their hands. So, Miss Marianne, do we have someone who is going to be the presenter of our first subject? Arla has her hand raised. Very Arla, good. You are unmuted, or you may unmute. 
Can you hear me? Yeah, we can. We can. Good. Um, you know, I have a very important topic that's on my mind. And so I, I came here. I, I didn't even eat my dinner. I finished with my last student. So I could just, you know, and then I just I just came. And I am really concerned. And I think we should be concerned about something that might happen. And um, I don't know if we want to take a stand on it. But um, uh, Marco Rubio is going to sponsor a, um, you know, in the House, a bill to um, that what they want to do is they want to make daylight savings time permanent. Okay, so what they what that would mean is we would stay. We would never set our clocks back, but we would stay in this this particular time instead of going back to east, you know, the standard time. And I'm very concerned about it, and I think we should all be concerned about it as blind people. As nice as it is for it to stay dark in the evening or stay light longer in the evening. In the winter months, in many places in the country, it would not get light until close to nine o'clock in the morning. And I'm really concerned about this because um, with um, with um, children waiting for school buses and people like us who are blind or visually impaired, who are traveling in the streets, um, when there are lots more school buses and more traffic than there even would be in the five o'clock hour, because most of the school buses have, have gone home. And um, so there, there's usually a little bit less traffic then, because the rush hour is over a longer period of time. I'm really concerned about the safety issues that this would bring. I'm concerned even about our bodies. They respond to melatonin, the sunshine first thing in the morning. And um, I, you know, if, if it were me, I think we've gotten a little soft around the middle. I think I don't think there's anything wrong with changing the clocks. Everybody knows it's going to happen, and they should plan for it. But um, and then um, just as a little bit of a side, we've got to really be concerned about this because as blind golfers, we can no longer, um, you know, it'll be it'll be light and we won't be able to beat our sighted friends anymore. So <laughs> there you go. <laughs> so, so Marianne, you you had some experience trying to travel to work in in this new time zone, <laughs> did you not? I did. My our the bus driver passed my house. Um, had to back up. It was pitch dark. I, I leave the house at six in the morning. And um, then he um, turned down the wrong street twice getting to um, work. This is somebody who's, you know, um, the bus driver who's driven me to work before. And my concern um, is, is similar to yours, only I can see staying on standard time and just letting it be. I, I can't see staying on daylight savings time. And Marco Rubio is a senator who um, <clears throat> I think um, maybe, you know, here in the Florida, in the state of Florida, maybe thinks it's good for tourism because people get up late and they want to stay up late. But I think overall, um, I would, if they were going to stay in one time zone, time um, frame, I, I would much rather it be standard time. But so. Yep. So Miss McMurray, Pennsylvania. Yes. Would, would you be comfortable staying in standard time all year? 
Yeah, if I had a choice, okay, and, you know, they said you could make the choice, you're not allowed to change clocks anymore, I would choose the standard time, just because of these safety issues. Now, granted, in the summer, I'd miss the the longer days, Um, but myself, if I really had a choice, um, I would say that we've got the best of both worlds the way it is now. In the wintertime, we can, you know, we we set the clocks back so it's it's not dark so, um, you know, late in the morning. And let's face it, in the wintertime, people don't do at least, well, maybe they do in Florida and places where the climate is warm. But um, in the winter months in most of the nation where it's cold, who wants to be outside after five o'clock? You know what I'm trying to say? Where in the summertime you do. So keeping it the way it is, I think would be the ideal. And I think with some education, we could eliminate some of the problems that people say, oh, they have strokes and they have heart attacks and things like this. I think for one thing, we made it too early. We made daylight savings time start too early. It was better when it started in April, when the days had gotten just long enough that it wasn't so dark in the morning. Right. but I would, I would, if I had to get stuck with one of them, I'd rather be stuck in standard time. But that's so what I think. L- let's help our members, um, and and you guys may have a better answer to this question than I do because mine is a little is a little unclear. But what was the rationale originally for daylight savings time? I think it started during the war. Something to um, the idea in order to, to give... say it was to save energy and oh, right. Um, I think Germany was one of the first to really use it, though I think the idea for it goes way back even before World War One. Mm-hmm. Yeah, Ben Franklin, in fact, was was you know he thought it would save energy um, at night. But let's face it, if you get up early in the morning, you're going to lose that hour sometime. They're just moved. I, I never got the whole concept of daylight savings. They're not saving any daylight; just moving it. The they taking the hour from here and putting it there. I, I never understood. The See that the, the the UK has a little better, and the Australians do too. They don't they don't say they don't make any claims. They just call it British summertime or <laughs> Australian summertime, but they don't call it they don't call it English winter time. It's just English see, time we, and English supper time. Summertime. See, see, I got to tell you that I'm in favor, honestly, of abolishing daylight to savings time. Being one or the other, Me I too. don't know that I have a preference. I guess the one thing I would say to the safety concern is maybe school just needs to start a little bit later, which I don't know that would be such a bad thing. And uh, if we are in daylight savings time and if we're in standard time, then... Uh, that would solve that problem. And I would have to admit if I had to pick my reason for sticking with daylight to uh, for say, standard time, but that, that's the one where we fall back to, right? I get yes. so confused. Yes. Yep. Standard yep. is the fall. Yep. See, see, it gets so confusing which one is it which. Does. But uh, Spring forward, fall yep. back. I know that part. It's just which one do we fall forward to and which one do we fall back to. But yeah, anyway, or spring forward uh, to. Yeah. But uh, my the reason the the thing I love about standard time the you, you gain sleep so um, <laughs> you know I, I want that extra hour of sleep so that that's my selfish reason for wanting to to be in standard time. I think that's fair enough, Miss Melanie. Thank you so much for calling in. But I'm, I'm wondering a- though if this you know 
I, I wonder what if you're really concerned. I, don't, I, you know, what what the best thing to do is if you know. I don't know if if you um, you know you go to your congressman and you just urge him to vote against. This I mean, so one thing. one suggestion. I one thing I would think about too, if we talk about the effects of blind people, where it could really get dicey. Like for me, for instance. I have light perception, and so I'm going to react to daylight savings time perhaps differently somebody who's a total. And, um, you know, I'm, I'm going to react to the way what light is doing. So, you know, that when it gets to who it's going to affect and all that, this is where it gets so tricky. So maybe definitely approaching your Congress people, but, you know, really trying to be give them like good educated answers on who this is going how, to affect. How do you think you react differently from those of us who are total? Um. I, you know, so to be fair, it's, it's, I've had to try to understand your guys's world a little bit. So, um, yeah. Good because luck. you, you, I understand <laughs> it. Okay. This is weird. Blind person having to understand another uh, blind person. So, yeah. Um, so forgive me if I am not quite accurate. I, you know, I've always understood it as like totally blind people. You don't really have necessarily a good concept of what is day and what is night. You know, by things like the clock, the surroundings, things like that. But otherwise, your body, you're, you have no way of knowing. You could be. Yeah. See, I, 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 I don't know that that's true. And, and, and we'll, you know, we've got, I, right. I don't, I don't think Carla. Has um, I don't think Carla has a lot of um, has a lot of vision, and I know Marianne doesn't. So, my perspective is that I can tell from the context whether it's day or night, whether whether birds are singing, whether there's sun in the sky, right, and and other things that other things that that give me a pretty clear notion of of when it switch. So, so you can like if you're indoors yeah. though, can you tell that there's sun in the sky other than like the birds are singing or if if I'm if I'm near a window, yes. If I'm not, no. No, okay. Yeah. So so I mean you're correct. If I if I stay inside all the time, then I probably won't have as clear a notion, which ought to mean that that the that daylight saving and standard time don't affect me very much. And and it may in fact be true. Yep. And it's my understanding that you still have the receptors, even if your eyes aren't seeing, to um, you know, to set your um, circadian rhythms. Uh, mm-hmm. That the sun, you know, it, it's they sense the sunlight, even if you don't see them. Mm-hmm. And and when when you wake up in the morning, you know, it's easier to get out of bed when it's light outside than when it is dark. And that sun comes in the window, and it sort of jump starts your body, whether you can see it or not. If you, <laughs> By a window, yeah. but, I'm, uh, but, what, but I guess what, I'm concerned because uh, um, what I'm really concerned is even the safety issues. And we've had a talk. We've had talks about well, why not make school later? Well, then that makes a problem for the parents who have to go to work too. You know, after if they I was a parent, an excuse to get up late would probably make me happy. But 
Yes, I think you're right. Some schools start ridiculously early. My kids used to have to be at the bus stop by quarter after six in the morning. I, that's, that's, that was just, well, it was dark. I, I teach in a Most school that, it, it's a school that takes in 10 school districts. It's a Christian school. Uh-huh. We bus our kids from all over the place. Yeah, and they that. have to wait in very dangerous places. Mm-hmm. They have to get there earlier because they have several pickups. You know, they're, you know, they're mm-hmm. not just going straight from school to, you know, or home to their school because it's more than one, you know, they're getting kids right. picked right. up from different districts and everything right. else too. Right. So there are a lot of safety issues too. And, and they don't have time to clear the roads. It's easier to clear the roads in daylight. And when the, you know, when the daylight, when the sun comes out, the snow and ice melts mm-hmm. more readily too. And so that's just sort of delaying that too. So oh, that's, that, so that, many- that, that, that's one thing I'll just say. Marco Rubio would probably not know much about. Um, no, he wouldn't because he's in Florida. Florida. No, <laughs> no, probably not. I think you're uh-huh. correct. So I would like to hear from somebody who really likes daylight savings time. So if there's any such animal, uh, we would love to hear from you. Um, you know, I, I, I guess the feeling was that the farmers could have more time doing their crops when when they needed it most in terms of harvest time. Um, and, and I guess there was also a feeling that um, that during the war, um, people could get to and from work mostly in the daytime for a larger proportion of the year if you use daylight savings time. So uh, whether that's true or not, uh, uh, Marianne would probably say it isn't, but then in, in those days, I don't think they started daylight savings time then until mid-April. It was. It was much later. Yeah. So, so it probably was true then, but certainly isn't true now. Yeah, and I'm not sure why they moved it. So you mm-hmm. know, why they put it so early? Mm-hmm. So. Up the blind golfers. Yeah. It's all for blind golfers. We have two That's hands right. up, but I don't know whether they're responding to <clears throat> yeah. which thing. We'll, so we can. We'll do it anyway. Yep. Yeah, we have um, Liz Bowden. Has her hand up? You may. No, well, she's may she's unmute. from near me in Tallahassee. So, Liz, Liz, what is your view okay. on daylight saving? You got me. Yep, we got gotcha. You. Okay, another topic. Okay. Um, I would like for someone. I've actually two topics because I know one of them we couldn't do. Maybe (laughs) one of them would be how to make accessible web pages. What's the process? And the other one is how to mitigate the effects of inaccessible web pages. What are some strategies that you can do when you come on an inaccessible web page and how do you advocate for more accessibility? So interestingly enough, um, my understanding is that um, the um, the folks who do main menu uh, are planning to do programs during the convention this summer on exactly that topic. Both of them. What what can you do to make it better, and uh, how can you recognize that they're inaccessible? So. Um, so uh, we don't even have to do it on Tuesday topics, which is pretty cool. But or, now you get to tell us about um, daylight savings time, Miss Liz. Okay. What do you think? I want the standard time. You want standard? 
Yeah. <clears throat> so far, I haven't heard anybody who wants daylight saving. And they did do daylight savings time as part of the war so that they could uh, keep the factories open longer mm -hmm. to produce more war products. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. See? I think we're all agreed on that. Um, but nobody likes daylight savings. What, what, is, no. what should we do? You know, what should we do it as a group? Or what advice would you give me? to get the best, um, you know, results, because I'm really scared of this. One of our kindergartners was almost killed waiting on a very dangerous um, bus stop. May I answer that? May sure. I, may I give my, Carla, I would write to, you have two very good, um, Rubio's a senator, and if that's where it's being introduced, you have two very good senators in Pennsylvania, Senator Casey and Senator Fetterman now. I, I would write to them and and write them stories, you know, tell them stories about what what you know, and and that is always what works best. That you can write to say I'm opposed to it, blah blah blah. But if you write um, experiences and stories, it usually is more um, effective. So that's what I would but, suggest you do. And, and I guess we need, and I guess we need to decide. Um, I guess we need to decide what way what way we really want to go. I.e., do we do we do we want um, do we want daylight saving to start later and end sooner, and then it would be really cool, or do we want it not to be at all, and do we want daylight saving or do we want standard time? I haven't heard anybody so far who wants daylight savings altogether. So somebody um, new raised their hand. I'm not sure if well, it's in response to that. Sure. Let's let's go ahead, Christy. Ms. Crespin. Yeah. I'm going to tell you daylight savings time all the way. Yeah. All right, so there you go. There's something. I can't. I have my husband and I are both. Um, we died this this uh, Pacific Standard Time. We it it never um, sunk in with us. Uh, it never sank in with us. We wanted to go to bed at 6.30 and 7.30 at night because we knew it was really 8.30. Um, um, going, you know, getting out of work, I'm, you know, don't, you know, have to do that because I'm retired. But it's frustrating to get out of work and it's 4, 4.30 in the afternoon and it's, and it's dark. dark. Yeah, my daughter and, says the same thing. And I want to, and, and, and. What happens to me is that I have a hard time staying awake at the dinner table. I have literally almost fallen asleep in my plate. Um, I need the sun. I need it in the day. Um, you know, yeah, right now uh, in California, the sun is um, rising at seven something. Um, but it, it goes back. And so we get the best of both worlds, I think, um, especially in this, um, you know, in California. I, I can't speak for other states, but mm -hmm. I can just tell you that if we never changed the time again from daylight savings time, I would be singing a hallelujah glory song. Because, <laughs> and, and, and Saturday was my birthday. And I said one of the best birthday presents I got besides my Victor Stream 3 from my husband yeah, was the uh, daylight savings time. Well, how cool is that? 
Crispy, I'm glad. We are glad that we are glad that you're clearly on on the sides of daylight saving. Do you think there are any disadvantages to daylight savings time in the winter? Not really. You know, people, kids don't walk to school as much as they used to. No, they don't. They do not walk to school because it's dangerous to walk to school. Because they often of, walk to bus stops, though. Yeah, they yeah, always walk to bus walk stops. Walk to bus stops, and within the school district where I teach, there is a school that does not bus their students. Mm-hmm. You have to walk. Oh, wow. So yeah, they, and, and many have to walk parents, on yeah, big distance to get to your bus stop, and mm-hmm. they some of them have to wait on the berms of roads where there are bends. But so what, what they need to do is they need stop monitors. They need yep. to fix. They yep. need to fix those roads. They need to um, because those are dangerous anyway. Whether it's whether the sure. sun is shining or not, and I know people who've gotten hit because the driver didn't see them regardless as to whether it's been daylight or dark. So and let's there- fix the, let's fix those problems. Let's not say, okay, we can't have daylight savings time. Yep. Because if they're, um, if they're participating in after-school activities in the winter, then they're coming home in the dark. That's so right. Six to one half dozen to another. That's right. I mean, that's, that's it. And I'm sorry, but Alaska, you know, I don't know whether it has daylight savings time or, or standard time, but I mean, the states that have the, the light um, like that. Well, I, I remember living up in Calgary, Alberta um, for quite a while when I was a kid and, and it, it would be summer and it would be 11 o'clock at night. And it would still be light outside. Yeah. Oh, yeah. You go play. You can play outside. Yeah, exactly. (laughs) At 11 o'clock, I wanted to be in bed. (laughs) Not as a kid, you didn't. Yeah, I did. (laughs) Well, be that way then. Sorry. (laughs) But so what? I mean, you can put blackout window, blackout blinds. You can put, Mm -hmm. you know, Mm -hmm. I'm, I'm, you know. Yeah. You, it's so much more productive. I I get so much more done because when it's it, light out. Yeah, yep. I, in the I'm like I said, I'm ready for bed by eight, seven and seven p.m. because I know, and my body is telling me it is eight o'clock. They lied. They just <laughs> want you to think it's seven o'clock. <laughs> I get that. I get that. Christy, thank you so much for your call. You're welcome. Bye. Bye. Kathy Blackburn has had her hand hey. up. Hey, Kathy. There you go, Kathy. You may. On She's from Texas. She probably has a strong opinion on this topic. Okay. Okay. Can you hear me now? Yeah. Yes, ma'am. Okay. I actually prefer um, standard time. Um, I've been walking to a bus stop when it was dark outside and had a car come coasting out right in front of me and if I um, and my guide dog backed me up thank goodness but suppose I hadn't had her um and also I, I can't remember all the details but I've read articles in the Washington Post that have you know written about the uh, particular senators that introduced this uh, mm-hmm. um, 
proponents for daylight saving time being permanent are mostly on the east and west coast. Mm-hmm. Um, as I said, I'm in favor of keeping standard time, and but and there and I've seen that there have been studies done that standard time is healthier for us. Interesting. Um, so. Did you notice any difference when when time changed on Saturday, Miss Kathy? Um, well, only that I forgot to set my clock forward. <laughs> <laughs> that that can happen, it, and it, you know it's 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 sort of harder now because there are some devices that do it automatically. Well, that's what I I was thinking that the atomic clock was going to do that. Um, and didn't, and our Victor Reader streams seem to be kind of inconsistent about what they do. Oh, they don't. They don't do it at all anymore. You, they, you've got to just change the time to daylight savings when it's switched. Yeah. It's switched. Yeah. Well, I've had, I had one that the one that said the time was adjusted automatically, but the other one didn't. So I don't know what that was about. Uh, I, I don't think they do automatic time adjustment in the new one either. Yes, I couldn't find that they did. So that's interesting. Um, but um, so far, so far, we've only had one vote for daylight savings and a lot of votes for standard time. Mm -hmm. So we're going to go on talking about this for just a couple more minutes and then we're going to switch topics. So everybody who's here be thinking of a good second topic. So, Miss Marianne, do we have any more hands? We do not. Very good. So, uh, do now. Um, uh, Randy Netherton. Hey, Randy. Yes, I kind of like uh, to be in favor of daylight saving time because in the morning there's daylight and near about or many minutes still daylight. And, and, you know, you have more time to be outside for most of the time. Mm -hmm. What part of the country do you live in, uh, Randy? Um, I'm in Ontario, southern Ontario. Uh -huh. Excellent. Northeast from Toronto. Excellent. Well, we're glad to have you on. And that's that's far enough north that you'd certainly get long days in in the in the evenings and daylight saving time. So yeah. Yeah, yeah I'm from Lindsay to tell you the truth. Yeah. Well, that's interesting. I don't know whether um, whether we're going to get um, any consensus here because we're we are now getting close to being tied in terms of what we want. I don't think anybody said they'd like time um, to go back and forth anymore. I think there seems to be pretty pretty much consensus that we ought to do away with changing our clocks. But no, I would like to, this is Carla again. I would like to just, I, I think we have the best of both worlds. If we just, you know, switch, maybe make it start a little bit later in the spring to get rid of the darkness in the morning. But I think uh -huh. we have the best of both worlds. As she, I said at the beginning, if given a choice, I would just keep doing it. Ah, uh, then, then, then I misunderstood you, Miss Carla. So 
Very good. Backed into a corner, I would go with standard time if I was told I absolutely yes. had to choose one of the or the other. But I'd Very rather good. just keep it. Very mm -hmm. good. All right. So I think that's about that's about as much as we're going to get out of that topic. But it really is interesting. I don't know. I don't know if I have. Um, I don't know if I if I have a notion. I suppose if we wanted to do something, um, getting hold of getting hold of a congressman or, or or a senator and indicating your your position would certainly not be a bad plan. So we are now open for another topic. Since we have a few people who are with us, do any of you have another topic you'd like to propose? Don't speak at once. Gosh, I gave you guys all kinds of notice that you were supposed to be the creative <laughs> juice for this evening. This was not a pop quiz. This was not. This was not. And this wasn't this wasn't a last minute scheduled exam either. So I'm just curious about something then. Um, yes. Have we gotten any kind of a response to our rally regarding accessible currency? Like was anybody do we know if anybody was listening? Um, we we think we think that uh, a number of people were listening. Um and, and I guess it's now available as a as a podcast or something, so everybody can listen. I was sitting on a bench, um, getting soaked on Friday, um, but I, I I think that doing the rally has probably made some pretty substantial differences. Um, you know, we can probably get a better idea of exactly what those are. Um, next week when Eric is on, um, but I think that uh, I think that um, everyone who went to the meeting at the Treasury on Friday felt like they got a lot more than they had expected to get. They they hadn't expected to see a lot of the senior people from Treasury who were there, or the clear commitment to two things. Um, first, maintaining the timetable that's operating, but second, um, holding frequent meetings with ACB uh, to kind of go over what the progress is, uh, have, has been and uh, what milestones are being reached at, at various times. So I guess they've committed essentially to meeting every quarter or so um, from now until until money um, is accessible. Uh, yeah. Whether that'll happen, I don't know. But I think I think that's a that's a pretty positive step. That is, you know, what I was, I was thinking so. as we were um, as it was, I was thinking about the whole currency issue. That's when I started advocating was um, for currency was the first thing. Yes, <clears throat> and um, what I was thinking about is how much more pertinent and important it was back then. <laughs> um, because everybody, you were, we, most people were still using cash as a you yes. know, means, right? 
not as many people are using cash. Not that it's not important. I, 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 I think it's very important. I want to be able to identify my currency, just like the other 170 some odd countries in the world do. But I, I just feel like, wow, 15 years have gone by and a lot's changed in that time. Well, and I think the other the other thing that that I have said, and I, and, and I suppose this isn't a very polite, nice thing to say. The decision has been made not to include the dollar bill, so it will never have anything on it. That's fine. There are a lot more dollar bills than there are anything else, so I don't care about that. But we're in a position, as I understand it now, where the 20 will be made available. Uh, no, the 10 will be made available on in 2026. Then the 20 will be made available in 2030. And that probably means that the 5, the 50, and the 100 will be another four years apiece. And so we may well be up to close to 2050 before we actually have accessible currency. And my question is, how much cash will, be, will we be using at all by then? Right. right. That's to my point. Exactly. Yeah. Yep. And it's sad. It's sadly, you know. Yep. Any thoughts? Any thoughts on accessible currency, everyone? So that, uh, I think Ms. it'll Carla. be, I mean, I'm not a cash user really anymore, yeah. but I have to admit that I still think it would be a good idea to have accessible current currency, but you no know, wishing it could have existed a long time ago when, you know, for instance, like I used to be a vendor a long time ago, so having accessible currency right, at that too. time would have mm-hmm. definitely been a good thing. Yeah. Um, I was saying the other day, though, if they ever do make accessible currency, I'm going to hold on to it and then uh, cash it in like 50 or 100 years from now as a valuable. <laughs> and uh, hopefully it'll be traded for more accessible currency at that time, but uh, or maybe it'll be digital. Did, did you guys ad- as vendors often or ever get cheated by people on purpose, do you think? I... <sighs> This gets into a very interesting topic. So the only time I really was like we had in Minnesota, we had a lot more vending machine programs than like behind the counter situations here too. And yep. the, a lot of the people that I saw, like at least in one or two cases, the people that I saw doing behind the counter were actually low vision. Right. Which I think gives them an advantage and they can probably they're more likely to be able to see i mean and i realize there's varying degrees of low vision so i'm not trying to make say blanket that uh, no. um you know we had like a lot of our system of course did have like a lot of checks and balances with like the way we did the bookkeeping with receipts and whatnot so mm-hmm. i think if something like that did happen it would get caught the one behind the counter location i saw was a lot more like internal people too not like necessarily open to the public and i think that's also a big factor um but i'm sure it's happened and I personally, i you know, if accessible currency existed back in the day, I'd have, you know, I 
I wouldn't have objected if a behind-the-counter location would have come along that I might have liked, and like, oh, cool. But without accessible currency, there was no way I'd ever do something like that. Not back then, when the technology wasn't as good as no, it is no, now. No, no, right, no, 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 right. no. Now the technology, you just, you know, one bill after another with, like, seeing AI or whatever, and it's, it's you know, it, it's easy. But yep. um, I agree. And and my people would never rip me off. Where the I, thing where I would I worry about with doing that in a business-type situation, like, does that convey to a sighted customer you don't trust them, or...? Well, I think every like a sighted person looks at the bills, right? I mean, yeah. they look at it before. So I would have to e- equate it to the same. I would hope that they would say, well, they're just doing business, right? But right. who knows you, what people do. You think you get to the point where you're nearly as fast sort of going through them with seeing AI as you are with them, um, with or as other people are just looking at the bills? I'm pretty fast. Right? I'm pretty yeah. fast. Yeah. Nice. I'm pretty fast. It used to be faster that um, the first money reader that came out that was free that the government provided the app. That, right. That was faster. It was yeah. a little bit faster, but seeing AI is pretty fast. It's way faster than I will tell you. Um, it is way faster than using the Envision glasses. Yep way faster yep um we do have another hand um that hasn't spoken yet um area code 501 oops and you may unmute okay this is teresa hey teresa answer to your question hey um i'm glad you all um made it back safely from in good one piece and good spirits after the rally. I wish I could have been there. I thought about you guys Friday. I was at a division of services for the blind board meeting Friday afternoon. And I, yes. And I thought about you and unfortunately I had to be here or else I would have been up there. I would have tried to make it up there. But I I spoke about you all and I said, um, because they asked for consumer, you know, input, you know, Mm -hmm. from both us and that other group. Uh And so I, um, (laughs) and when it came to our, you know, talking about our group, I said, you know, what we were doing on the state level. And I said, oh, and nationally, this weekend, they're having a a legislative seminar in, um, in D.C. And as of today, as we meet here, they're having a rally on accessible currency in front of the Capitol. That is correct. And so, so I wanted I wanted that to be um, a focal point. And my husband was in the army. Mm-hmm. And once I handed him some money that I thought was uh, what it was. And unfortunately, I did not have the right denominations. Oh, no. And he told me, he told me, well, he wasn't mad at me, but he said, this is when we had just met, in fact. And he said, over in Germany, they have um, their um, money denominations are different sizes. Yeah, same thing in British in England. And so that's how they know what they, um, you know, anybody will know what they have, whether you're blind or sighted. But, you know, for the blind, that helps so you can feel. It's really very cool, too. Um, Australia, uh, the notes are are different sizes as well. And so what they have essentially is is a little plastic device with a series of lines with um, with uh, dots on it. And if you if you if you just hold the note, 
up against this this plastic thing, um, it will immediately tell you um, which which size fits. And so it's it and it's you know right. essentially the device to create the accessibility costs maybe two or three dollars at most. Oh, wow. So Unfortunately, it's pretty neat. I have found those. I have found those, um, whatever they call them here, um, that you're supposed to be able to slide a, a dollar bill or a $5 bill uh-huh. into, and it's supposed to tell you. I found, for me, they just don't seem to work right. I don't know what's up with that. But all I get is beeps and, and the vibration. I don't get, like, one or yeah. five it, or It takes ten. some practice. It takes some practice. Do you um, have an iPhone? No, I don't. Okay, a smartphone. I don't. I wish. I know. Maybe I need to. I wonder what the iPad do that. Uh, <coughs> I think you can download. Um, seeing yes, uh, you can iPad. download the same the same apps as yeah, you can. Absolutely. For um, the, and there okay. are a couple. There are a couple of of, have, uh, of apps that do it. You yep. just have to have Wi-Fi for the iPad. I understand. Oh. Uh, no, you certain, don't. No, not for seeing AI because no, um, not for seeing AI. I don't it think doesn't so. require I, Wi-Fi. No, no I no. don't okay. use Wi-Fi at work it, it, at all. It only requires a Wi-Fi to, or, or or using data to download it. Right. Um, but uh-huh. beyond that, it doesn't require it. But right. I mean, on an iPad, wouldn't your iPad have to be connected to a cellular network? No. No. Not at all. Okay. Not at all. Okay. No, it should be doable, Miss Teresa. Well, thank you. Uh-huh. All right. And I'm hoping I'll make it to Schomburg this summer. Well, we expect you there. Well, let's thank give, you. I, let's give um, okay. accessible currency a little more time if we have anyone else we who have is minded. Mr. Correa. Hi, Paul. How are you and everyone? Um, we are well. Yeah, I, I, I couldn't. Uh, I, I missed most of the program because my daughter called and I had to mute you guys. Uh, but now that you're talking about this, one of my uh, one one of those one of those issues that it just uh, I'm dismayed to hear that you know a country like this in the twenty twenty first century is still unable to do what every single other civilized country does you know and i yes not to be too political here but the other day i I don't know where i was listening to some podcast or a program where they were talking about child care and maternity leave Mm -hmm. and then they mentioned that the united states is the only country that doesn't offer that and then they among seven other countries and the other countries were like papua new guinea uh, I mean, I don't remember the other thing. <laughs> yeah. I just remember Papua New Guinea. But they were all countries that... Um, little tiny places. Little tiny countries, yep. yeah. It's just unbelievable that, you know, we, we're we still having this argument that right. it's difficult or is it costs money or it's not practical or when everybody else has figured it out. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Anyway, it, it's just... Um, but I remember moving here or, or just coming coming here on vacation from Portugal and was one of the uh, adjustments I needed to make. At that time, there was no CNI I'm talking about. 
Yes. In the 70s, right? Right. It was nothing. So, yeah. And it was the first time that I realized that dollars, the, the, the paper money here is not, it's all, Same. all feel alike. Right? Yep. yep. So, yeah. So anyway, but. It's very sad. So do you have a, an opinion with regard to what's better, no change, daylight savings or standard time? Not really. I, I really don't. You know, I have no like perception or anything like that. So I really don't. I mean, the, my only confusion is that uh, I listen to a lot of news and mostly sports from Portugal. <laughs> and there's yeah. a week there's a week there during the year or two weeks where we we change before they do. So I have to. Yes. Whether I, I count instead of five hours difference is only four hours difference. Exactly. Yes. We were just week, talking about that's that. My, that's my only, that's my, my only challenge that I have with it. Um, so, all I right. We, we have so many issues that we need to uh, to deal. One of the things, uh, not to introduce a totally new new topic, but one of the things that if my daughter had not called, that I was going to call about was this whole issue of um, services for the elderly. Uh, blind and visually impaired and the the fact that funds are so so minimal and they have not mm -hmm. changed for years maybe that's something that you can make into a topic one day Paul. oh i think it is i think i think it's certainly an appropriate topic and we have uh we have an organization like aabl that's working pretty actively on this yes um, I, I am and fine. the american association Alliance, no, Alliance, uh, Aging Alliance for Life. Aging and Vision Loss. Yes. I am the I am the vice president of that, so I should know. <laughs> you so, you should know. Yes. You should know. Yes. But so uh, uh, it's um it's it's an it's an unending battle though, and there's and there's never enough money. So you're absolutely correct. Right. And and I think it would be a good idea for us to and we could in fact do some of that tonight if you want to. Um, talking about talking about what what we would recommend that folks do um, in in order to try to change that. Um, he, here are here are a couple of really quick facts. The population of elderly uh, folks with vision loss um, is growing very quickly to the point where it's expected that that population will double by the year 2040. Um, currently, uh, the, the the one federal funding source for that program has remained the same since 2009, I think, Anisio. I think so, um, please. I, I don't know exactly, but yeah, it's been at least more than 20. Yeah. And the uh, this is this is some special funding for that was that was actually called independent living dollars, which is sort of confusing. But anyway, um, the the currently the federal government allocates no other money specifically designed to provide services for blind folks um, who are older. Um, so virtually all of the money comes either from money that local lighthouses raise or from state legislatures. Um, at the moment, I don't know of a single agency in my state, that is in Florida, that isn't spending uh, and serving uh, more dollars and more people 
than they are required to under the contract with the Division of Blind Services because there is such a huge demand for um, these services that uh, that it, it simply can't easily be met. So what that is meaning is even now, people are probably getting less services than they can use and less training than they could benefit from. Um, would you agree with all that, Ms. Anisio? Yeah, Mr. Anisio? I, yeah, I do agree. Uh, yeah. I mean, the, the, the money, the, the total amount of money that is, is uh, dedicated for that funding is $33 million. Which, right. And the number of people that currently are being served, people 55 years of age and older, is 60,000 people in the, in the whole country. That's mm -hmm. less than 5%. I think some people say less than 3% of the people that could use the service. I mean, that's ridiculous. I mean, it is unbelievable that, that, that can even happen. Um, so yeah, it, it's, it's a, it's a huge problem. The, the other, the other big issue, and I don't want to start it again, but that is somewhat related to this that I would love for you to one day for us to have a discussion is this mm -hmm. whole issue of, medical versus social slash educational services, right? Because we often, and I, you know, in my 40 year, 40 years, 40 plus years working in the field, I always, I used to say as an argument to the legislatures, you know, if you break your leg, you go to the hospital, exactly. you get treatment, then you go to a rehab center, you get this, da, 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 and then- It's all paid for by your insurance company. Exactly. And then after that, you come, you come out and maybe- you may get some, you know, you, you may attend the Center for Independent Living for some peer support and some readaptation or whatever it may be. And if you're blind uh, and uh, you lose your vision as a result, you have a stroke and you lose your vision and you get whatever PT and OT you need, nothing about your vision. And yeah. after you discharge it, you know, I used to get calls and say, I, you know, we have this person ready to be discharged. What can you do? I can't do anything. So the issue is the, 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 the blindness or the visual impairment is not addressed in that medical setting. However, when we, some of us try to change the, this, this, this system and get more and more OTs, for example, involved in the delivery of service, we get, you're destroying the field, we're ruining the profession. Yep. You know, this is not a medical, visual loss is not a medical issue. It is, it is a medical issue, right? I mean, it's just as medical issue as your broken leg or the fact that you lost an arm or a limb mm -hmm. and you need to oh, yeah. use adaptive skills and tools to function. Absolutely. So anyway, I, but I don't think our field is ready to, to face that. You can have your cake and eat it too, right? We want Medicare funding and Medicaid funding, but we don't want to let go of our separateness. I think it's our separateness that has caused some of the problem. So so does Anisio, but you guys are going to have to explain that to me because I'm not sure I get that. Well, well, so so if we if we agree that 
somewhat that these services should be funded through Medicare, right? None okay. of our, none of the traditional professionals are licensed to receive to to be able to bill for Medicare. Um, doctor, you know, in order to be bill a uh, service be billable by Medicare, you need to be prescribed by a doctor, whether it's an ophthalmologist or optometrist or a or a or a physician, right? And not most of our services, unless you're talking about a low vision clinic, are not prescribed by by a doctor. So things have to change in order for the structure would have to change for us to be to be eligible to 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 um, take advantage of, of the only funding that is more stable than any other funding, which is Medicare for the elderly. But but wouldn't it wouldn't it be arguable that uh, that at least some of that gap has been filled in um, by by using groups who are at least to some degree cross-trained um, and who are already eligible for Medicare billing? What do you mean? It, like groups like uh, OTs, you mean? Yes. Yeah, I mean, that's... And, and so for everybody's benefit, that's occupational therapists. But it's not yeah. happening on a, on a wide scale. It seems that the advocacy is always around getting more money into um, the independent living, you know, the rather than um, getting the changing the structure enough that OTs are used more frequently and, and not just Medicare. You know, what about people who were working and had great insurance, yeah, you know, sense, that, yeah. you know, just just average, you know, out there insurance. It just doesn't happen very widely. It's just, it's a much longer discussion, but I think it would be a right. wonderful topic to, to, because obviously I can argue both ways too. I can argue on the other side, you know what I mean? I have in the past, um, but I think that some, you know, when you add to all this, the fact that there are only 600 certified vision rehabilitation therapists in the whole country of the United States and Canada. Wow. In, in the old days, in the old days, that used to be rehab teachers, guys. That's my old, my first profession. Mm -hmm. 600. What, what, what can you do with that? Not uh, very much. So. And, and, and so, I mean, they're, they're all related fields and I see what you guys are talking about with regard to separateness. I think that I think there was a time we could have fixed this um, 25 or 30 years ago, and I'm happy to say that ACB had a resolution that was passed and we thought was agreed to um, by AFB um, that that would have in fact set up really early meetings with OTs um, and with uh, with OT folks to essentially learn try to create the kind of cross-training that would have made them far more effective and to also try to see if we couldn't create a situation where a lot of the elements of small degrees that are being made available at, at, at a very small number of schools to, for, the, for the special qualifications of visually impaired folks could be subsumed into uh, OT degrees, where the expectation is that people earn a lot more money uh, right. once they finish, and the expectation is as well 
that there are much larger class sizes, which means that um, more and more people might be encouraged into the business. Unfortunately, for a variety of what, in my opinion, are untenable reasons, um, uh, the, the resolution went nowhere. Um, but I think it could have made a huge difference. Now, um, I, I don't know, um, Anisio, whether whether that barn door is closed and whether whether wow. there's there's a lot more that we can get done. I don't know, but it's you're right. It's a great topic. You're we'll talking, have you we'll, you're, we'll you're have talking, you come on and be part of it. You're talking about six hundred certified visual rehab therapists versus. 160,000 licensed professional therapists. Now, not all of them, or certainly very few of them, have blindness or, vis or you know, expertise. That is correct. A lot more and more of them do have. Um, well, and, and they're being encouraged to get more. The difficulty, of course, is that they are going to be serving our people, whether we like it or not. Mm -hmm. um, whether it's whether it's through hospitals or whether it's through our lighthouses um, who are in fact hiring them because they can get far more bang for their buck exactly um, if if they in fact have those folks on staff and and can use them but but unfortunately they're not they, they don't have the specific training in in blindness and vision loss training that would enable them, uh, to be nearly as effective as the specialists I think what I'm that saying, we have. Some, some of them are, are are getting that training, you know. Yes. Specialized, and I think our our challenge, and then I'll stop. But our challenge as a field is to identify, is to acknowledge that, you know. Fine, let them in. They we need them. Yes. One because we don't have the number of people we need, but two because we need the funding. So let them have it. Let's yeah. let's help in improve that whatever training they can get and then let's identify if there are other things that are not covered through medicare perhaps that that we have found useful for someone undergoing vision loss that our traditional staff could do you know what i mean so then you're not putting anyone out of work in fact you are identifying a more narrow scope of work for our traditional specialists yep hold on for a second cell phone decided it was going to take a take a ride um i think i think that's a good idea i guess the last thing that i will say um is Stop. The last thing that I will say uh, on on this topic is that I think that um, there there are a lot of people in our field who are still uncomfortable um, with uh, with making use of uh, OTs, um, and and we we need to somehow get past that. Mm -hmm. Absolutely. Yeah. Yep. Very good. So that's a, that's certainly an, another major topic. I I would um, 
I would I I think I think we will certainly put that on our list of of um, topics to think about. And I and I think the other topic that Anisio brought up, which has to do with <clears throat> the the insufficient services for older blind folks, is another complex question. We have done Tuesday topics on that before, but it may well be time for us to do it again. And, and so, those, two, those two are actually quite related, right? Because the, you know, one, yeah. of the, one of the discussions I've been part of is, so let, let's suppose in an ideal world that all of a sudden we are so successful in our advocacy efforts and from $33 million, we ended up with $200 million of funding, mm -hmm. right? Which is still nothing really compared to sure. the people. We would the agencies, the existing service structure would have no clue what to do with that money. And they would not be able to use it because we don't have the staff, the infrastructure. So it's not just a question of having more funding. I think the 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 infrastructure and the, the has to change. And I think that's where I think the the relationship with the other with the other topic is right. And one and one of the one of the toughest questions is a kind of a chicken and egg question that's out there, which is if if people who are OTs are making say one and a half times the amount that that people who have specializations in in vision, um, are we ever? Um, going to be able to persuade enough people to go into our specialty anyway, rather than choosing to go to OT where they have much less training to do and can make far more money. Well, when you say less training in vision, but a lot more training in everything else. Sure. But, but, right. but less training when, when I say less training, I mean, they don't have to include the vision stuff. Whereas, mm -hmm. In, in some of the vision stuff, at least there's some general rehab courses and some other right. stuff that requires right. Right. Our, our vision folks to be to be better acquainted with with other with with other groups like folks mm -hmm. with physical disabilities and folks with learning disabilities. So right. But there's it's, so much to talk about because yeah. optimally what would be wrong with them working in their you know um, rehab facilities and blind people going there and you know and and the OTs in their environment they've gotten their good pay and but they've added vision to their um, toolbox of of what they can offer um instead of hiring them into the lighthouse um or you know rehab center for the blind kind of place where you're right they wouldn't be paid very well I don't so, know I don't know where you'd send blind people though because because there, I don't think there are as many, and, and Anisha would know better than I do. I don't think there are as many agencies out there that would that would be that would be taking people who who could be taking blind people that that aren't specific yeah. blindness agencies. What do you think, Anisha? No, I don't think. Yeah, I agree with you. I I mean, I think yeah. the, the the example I gave the hospital is someone who. Right. Happens to lose their vision as a result of another incident, right? Right. right. Well, that's, I guess, what I'm talking about. Someone right. who loses their vision suddenly. Right. 
But okay. I, ideally, ideally yeah. the, the I didn't mean right. But ideally, yeah. the place where where I've seen and I've used them myself, you know, uh, in a, in a in a um, uh, the setting where I've used OTs is is in a low vision clinic, right? So most right. of the people sure. we're talking about older elderly are low vision. So by make, coming through a low vision clinic, it, it makes the entry point a lot more accessible for people because they somehow mm -hmm. they they don't see see themselves as quote blind unquote. But they once you're in the clinic, it is the role of those professionals to not only provide whatever low vision services they need, but to go beyond that and provide blindness non visual skills um, to those people. So I think you know having them involved in the in the teams, in the lighthouses, and other rehab agencies, I think makes sense. It does. It does. If we if we can manage to do it. Mm. Yep. Very good. So, you want I any guess more hands before we I get guess, started? Yeah, I guess we can open up for for a new topic. Um, we've got we've got two major topics that that we will put on our list um, out of this discussion. Uh, they're fascinating. Are there um, are are there any hands there at is. the moment, Miss Varianne? Yes, there is. Debbie Dietrich has her hand up, and Debbie, Ms. you may unmute. Miss Dethridge, how are you? Just fine. Well, that is excellent. Um, two quick comments. Um, well, I guess three. Uh, the Ural Zarelli I saw it on YouTube, and it was great. Uh, Thank for you. the currency, um, I'm hoping we do get some accessible currency that would make life easier. And your other topic on, I do like uh, it like longer in the evening. I hated missing the hour of sleep, but I do like it longer in the evening. Ta-da. Mm -hmm. So a daylight savings proponent. We are pretty tied. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah, I think, I think we are pretty much tied, Marianne. I think mm -hmm. you're right. So that is exciting. So, Miss Debbie, have you have you thoughts about uh, other topics yep. that we might engage in this evening? Can't think of any right offhand. I might have mm -hmm. to leave shortly, but um, but I can't think of anything right offhand. Well, that's no fun. See how you are. <laughs> I know. <laughs> Thank you so much for calling in and, and, and expressing your opinion, Ms. Debbie. We appreciate it. No problem. Excellent. And Ms. Natalie Couch has her hand raised. Miss Natalie, another Kentuckian. Ta-da. Hello. Sorry, voiceover was talking. Can you all hear me? Yes. Yeah. Okay. Voiceover won't shut up. So um, <laughs> I'm not used to doing this on my phone. But anyway, um, I just wanted to come in and, and give my thoughts on, like Debbie said, the rally was fabulous. I had to watch it on YouTube because um, I couldn't watch it as it was happening, but um, it was fabulous. And um, I vote for daylight savings time because I, you know, I hated missing my hour of sleep on um, Sunday, but mm -hmm. <laughs> I like it, you know, I like it lighter, better. I mean, longer. And um for as for accessible currency, I'm really hoping that we get it um, because I'm probably going to have the unpopular opinion, but I would much rather use cash than like, um, you know, debit cards or whatever, because it's 
I don't know, it's easier to keep track of what you're spending <laughs> when you, um, you know, when you actually have to like, you know, get out the cash and think about it. Yep. So, um, I am, I am very much excited about seeing accessible currency and I do wish that we would have had it a long time ago because I know, um, there were times when I was living in Chicago and doing some interning and some things like that, that I got ripped off in cabs because they would give you bills back and tell you it was one thing. And then, you know, later you find out that it's not that. So, um, I am very much looking forward to accessible currency and I do not have any new topics. So do you think, um, do, do, do you take the time to use a, a phone app or or a money identifier now to identify money when somebody gives it to you? Um, I don't always like write when someone gives it to me because especially if I'm, you know, um, in a store or somewhere because I don't want mm-hmm. to um, hold up a line or whatever. Mm-hmm. But yes, eventually it does go through a phone app and. I miss the old, um, what was it called? Money reader or whatever that the first yep. iPhone, I, yep. when I got my, I had it forever until I got my new phone in, uh, whenever I got it, December or January yep. or whenever I got this new phone. And, um, I agree with, I think it was Marianne that said that seeing AI is a little bit slower than that app. So, um, you know, I, I do, I do miss that app, but yes, eventually all my money does go through, um, an app. And even yeah. if I've had it for a while, sometimes I, you know, I check it out just to make sure that I have what I think I have, you know? So, but yeah, That's it eventually all excellent. goes through an app. Mm-hmm. It just may not when I get it. Cause I don't want to hold people up if I'm out somewhere. So, yep. So people say that that with with all of the ways that we have for identifying money, whether it's with iPhones or whether it's with little devices that the Treasury Department gives us, or uh, or or whether it's uh, the way that we've been taught to fold money, that we really don't have as much of a need for accessible currency as we used to have. Um, anybody buy that story? No, no. No, <laughs> I don't either. Um, but but I would be interested in hearing your notion of why. Um, because I want to be able to look at my money as quickly or know what my money is as quickly right. as a sighted person. Mm-hmm. Um, and yes, we have those things like iPhone apps and stuff available to us, but it takes an extra second. So I would love to be able to just go through my money and know, you know, by size or width or whatever, what it is. Mm-hmm. Yep. Miss um, Marianne, did you want to add something to that? You no, know, basically the same thing. I don't ever want to be ripped off again. Like have somebody hand me a bill because right. I'm with Natalie. I'm not going to check it there at the counter. It just, you know, holds yeah. up the line. And I don't want to take my phone out like that all the time. I'm liable to lose it. My phone is, you know, more valuable than, you know, five or $10 bill yeah. that might be ripped off. Yeah. Right. But um, um, I just, I'm with Natalie. I just want to be able to identify it, hand have it handed to me and I know what it is. 
So I guess we had another hand from Mr. Martin or somebody like that. Yep, Dora. And you may unmute. Hi, good evening, and thank you for having this. This is really informative. Um, I'm Dora Martinez from Reno, Nevada, and I'm totally blind. Hi. And I really think, uh, because one, part of my job is teaching elderly blind uh, people who are blind to use apps, and I think it's the skill set. If they don't have the skills or don't want to learn anything, um, you know, that's important. And I think having mm -hmm. the money uh, to be... Um, Recognize is important. So I'm very grateful for the ACB and their movement with this. Thank you so much. Have a good evening. I'll enjoy it. I'll oh, be on mute. Thank you. You're welcome. Thank you for your call. And on your side, Peter has his hand raised. He does. He does. Mr. Peter. Hey, can you guys hear me? Yeah. We can. I'm really here to talk about employment, but I just wanted to make sure you guys were aware that I'm here. Yep. We are aware that you're here, but you're welcome to talk about any of the other topics we've talked about. You are not a person without opinions, Mr. Peter. I am not. <laughs> so, um, daylight saving? Yes. Yeah. Or no? so, da so, daylight savings. Here, here's my. Here, here's what I sort of understand about that. That apparently, health-wise, um, it's better to have more light in the morning than in the evening. But commerce-wise, it's better to have more more um, uh, light in the evening than the morning. Uh -huh. So I, I guess I fall into the health category, and which means I would I would support the standard time and leaving that constant. But um, I mean, I'm, I am one of those people who's tired of switching back and forth a thousand times, and I'm happy to go with whatever the final verdict is. So but, if you um, if you had to choose between standard and daylight savings, then would it? I would be... go. With, I would I would go with standard. I, I if if that research yep. is correct, I'd go with the health benefits over the commercial benefits. Um, Very good. Um, and then as far as the, um, demonstration, uh, that you guys had, which I, I understand was really successful and I congratulate mm -hmm. ACB for the effort that we did. I, I have to, I have to tell you that I've been talking to lots of folks under 40 over the past few days, uh, next gen, and they are totally mystified by this whole thing. They don't use cash. Many of them use apps. I, I don't want to put words in their mouth totally, but I, my sense is they feel this is sort of a waste of ACB's uh, resources, um, you know, that there are other issues that are that are more important, to, far more important to them than being able to identify cash. As one person said to me, I haven't used cash for like two years. And uh, for me, this is one of those issues um, that was really, 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 really important in like the 90s, early 2000s. Yeah. yeah. Or even 20. And now it's only sort of, you know, sort of important. And, I, and uh, symbolically, it's important. I get that. And it is embarrassing that we're the only country that doesn't have you know, bills of different sizes. It's kind of ridiculous. But I think there comes a time, and, you know, I'll, I'll probably talk about this when we get to employment, um, that uh, their priorities are, you know, the folks, the younger folks, priorities are different from the us, us older people. And if we want, as an organization, to keep the younger folks happy with us, we're going to have to make the change or focus a little bit. Um, and so it, that's it, my, my, my take on that. Right. It would be nice if we had some of the some of the next gen people on to talk about this, but but let's try and fill in a couple of I's and cross T's because there some of the some of the answers are interesting. What what they appear to do, and and if if Peter, if you or Marianne have 
have an idea of whether this is inaccurate, let me know. But what they appear to do is they appear to make a determination, for instance, when they're going out, that one person is going to be responsible for paying the check. And then everybody else uses what are called transfer apps like Zelle and, oh gosh, there are Apple several Cash, others. Venmo or whatever, yeah. Yep. Um, to essentially transfer their share back to the person who actually pays the bill. Mm-hmm. So again, there's no sharing of cash. Um, what there what there is though is is a sharing of of resources all done electronically. Mm-hmm. Um, and and that's an example of the degree to which they say they don't use cash. And I'm assuming they would use debit or credit cards for most of their purchases. Um, are, are, are there other things that folks do that are different that you guys can think of? I think well, that's I, I, a good the... example though, because, yep. you know, like I've bought tickets for everybody and then they just send me uh, Apple cash. You know, I've yep. bought theater tickets for everyone and, and rather yep. than hand me cash that day, they just transfer, you know, the money via Apple cash or whatever. Nice. You know? so nice. Nice. It is, Peter? it is different. No, I think you've said it well. I, I think I think the, the I think the I think where ACB could be of value uh, is to make sure that everybody's getting the uh, the technology training that we need to be successful. And then you how know, about I, making the apps accept, and make, uh, thank accessible? Thank you. That, that, right. that, that's right? maybe more maybe more important. Right. Uh, but you know, sure I'm thinking I'm thinking in terms of Missouri Evoke Rehab. Um, that at least as of two or three years ago. They would not provide iPhone training as part of their services. Think about that. Yeah, you know, I just find that so bizarre. Uh, it, it doesn't even register on my level of incredulity. You know, here, here, you know, more and more folks are using iPhones for everything, and they don't provide training right. as as part of the services. I mean, it, it, you know, I don't know how how that compares to other voc rehab services in other states. I can only talk about Missouri. But, you know, it's that kind of thing that I think we should be focusing on, mm-hmm. uh, you know, perhaps more than this whole cash accessibility piece. And, um, and from a, an employment standpoint, the most important of our imperatives would be that web accessibility, in my opinion. And I agree. And that's a uh, huge uh, to me. And mm-hmm. one of the things I, I'm, I'm going to talk about when the moment comes is... Uh, the whole issue of how artificial intelligence is is infiltrating the whole employment process, um, and if we if we can't figure out how to use that stuff effectively, mm-hmm. we're we're going to be yep. behind the curve as we've been all our all our lives for the most part. Yep. Mm-hmm. And um, so, anyway, I, Paul, I, I don't want to sort of you know uh, derail what you're doing, but I do want you to know that I'm here ready to talk about employment when you're ready to talk to me. Excellent. And, and to we will. Clock, and, and we will seven, get there seven, in just a few minutes. We're not going to do any 50. new topics, but I'll give people a last chance to chime in on any of the stuff we've talked about so far. If there are any hands. There are no hands currently. Then, Mr. Peter, um, in the past, we've had the Employment Committee on Tuesday topics um, and I think had a really good discussion of, um, of, of some of the difficulties that face people who are blind in terms of employment. As well as some of the 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 stuff that the ACB Employment Committee is was then doing, and my understanding, Peter, is that the Employment Committee has been doing some more since uh, since we last talked. 
that you can tell us about and has some plans for the future. Yeah. So Paul, thanks for having us on again. And uh, so we, so let's start with the uh, job posting. Some of you may have seen me posting jobs to the ACB leadership and ACB uh, a conversation list. Mm-hmm. And uh, about a month ago, I got permission from the whoever the right committee is to do this. It's been sort of a process to make this happen, but I'm grateful that it did happen. And so I've started posting. I get regular job listings across my desk and I'm um, sort of calling that the ones that are not very useful in my judgment and sending the stuff that I think are, are more useful uh, and sending them out. And I hope that folks who see them, you know, look at them and, and pass them on to folks who might be interested and pass them on to your state affiliates um, because these jobs are, I think, are interesting. Most of them are not served in the blindness community kinds of jobs. Um, and so I hope that you will take advantage of that service. And I'm also hoping that over time, we'll be able to get a, a, a broader range of employers you know, to send me stuff. Uh, and I'm also hoping that over time, we might get um, services you know, that, that might help people find jobs, send me stuff that I can post as well. So this is a, this is a sort of an ongoing process, but the process has started. And my goal is to post twice a week, uh, Tuesdays and Fridays tentatively, you know, um, but you know how we artists are, we don't always stick to schedules. <laughs> um, so, uh, but that, you know, I, we hope that that becomes useful uh, to folks and, um, uh, thank you for those who are looking at them and passing them on and et cetera, and so on and so forth. So that's one thing that's changed. And I want to thank Dan Spoon for a lot of the stuff for, for, for making this happen. And he just, he was instrumental for making this particular thing happen. Um, the next thing, some of you may be aware that over the past, I don't know, 18 months, we've been recording uh, what we call Let's Get to Work podcasts, where we interview people uh, we started interviewing blind folks um, who were doing sort of non-traditional jobs, whether it be daycare or whether it be in ministry or whether it be in human resources or whether it be as a uh, 911 operator. But we tried to, to, to get um, jobs that were sort of not, you know, traditional blind people in voc rehab or uh, in the, um, what am I trying to say? Um, you know, the, the traditional sort of blind manufacturing jobs. Not that we don't think those things are useful and helpful, but, you know, I, I think uh, we, we, many of us were sort of um, targeted to the standard jobs that blind people, voc rehab says that we can do. And uh, we think there are other options. So we've been interviewing people uh, doing that kind of work. And they're on, if you go to, um, go to the ACB site and go to committees, You'll find the employment committee and you can go to us and check us out and you can link right there to the podcasts. And there are, I don't know, there are probably 10 or 15 out there right now. More recently, we are trying to um, sort of spin more towards services that are helping people find jobs or, uh, or employers who, are, who have some success in hiring people with visual impairments. And um, over the next year, we hope to interview that, that, those, those folk um, and to get a sense of what they're looking for, what they're doing to provide accommodations, some of their success stories. Um, and we're sort of doing this at a bad time, uh, you know, with the recession. Well, not the recession so much, but especially in technology, people are being laid off like crazy. I just saw today Meta is laying off more people. Amazon laid off people. Uh, Twitter mm-hmm. laid off a bunch of people. You know, so this is in some ways not the most ideal time. 
to do this, but you know, we find ourselves where we are. And so that's what we're doing. And we're hoping that uh, uh, the national office, uh, they say they have some links to some employers who might be interested in this. So we're hoping that they can connect us to some of these, uh, some of these opportunities and we will uh, interview these people and post them to our podcast. Um, and we hope this will again, make people aware of what opportunities are indeed out there. You know, uh, you know, uh, one of the things that I found a million years ago when I was looking for work consistently was I just didn't know, you know, what opportunities were there. And I had to sort of blaze my own trail and do certain things to find those jobs that I ended up finding. Um, so we, we are going to do that. And we started, our first interview was with one of our members, Melanie um, Soe, and she just got a new job sort of doing um, research analysis on uh, employee relations and customer service and doing a lot of really interesting work. And she lost her job last September after working for the same company for 15 years. And, she, and I called her a while back and said, hey, how's the job search going? And she said, I am totally uh, you know, unfamiliar with the new job process. And a lot of it involved um, uh, artificial intelligence. So rather than being interviewed by a human, you're being interviewed by a bot. And, um, you know, it, uh, and, other, and other things that, that just have totally changed the way uh, the job search process is happening. And I said to her, we need to interview you for our podcast. And we did. It's the first interview we've done in the fall. Uh, and um, that is up on our site. And I encourage pe people to listen to it, especially those who, who um, you know, have a voc rehab connection and or looking for jobs because we, we aren't there yet. I mean, what she experienced, we're not there yet, but it's coming. And as I said earlier, if we don't be begin to prepare for this, we're going to be behind the curve as we often are in these kinds of conversations. And so we are um, doing that. The, other, the next interview we did was with a guy named John Robinson, who runs a website for disabled folk called Our Ability. And they, I found out when I was doing the interview, use artificial intelligence to find jobs for people. So essentially what happens on that site is you fill in your skill set, you do the stuff, and then you have a dashboard uh, and they suggest jobs based on your skill set. Well, maybe I'm behind the curve, but I've never seen any other site uh, serve people with disabilities do this. And I think this is something, again, uh, this is a great thing. Uh, and actually, I think we're going to have John. Well, so one of the things that this, this happened is that we're going to do a session on, and as part of the virtual convention about sort of artificial intelligence and the job search. And we're going to have three people sort of talk about their experiences with this. And John will be one of those people. Mel will be another one of these people. Uh, and I think this is, a, for me, this was an eye-opener. And I, I, you know, I hate to use that pun, but it really was. I was totally unaware of what's going on. And again, this is not sort, sort of blindsided, Peter? Yeah, it's sort of blindsided. <laughs> oh, dear. And, 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 you know, I, I pay attention to this stuff. I mean, part of the work I do is in diversity and sure. inclusion. So I read a lot of stuff. And I've never seen anything like this in any of the reading that I've done. So um, this is this is something I think that, that we in the Employment Committee are going to try to get our, a handle on. And we hope that ACB will... We'll, uh, we'll sort of figure out how, how, how and I'm, I don't have any brilliant suggestions on how at the moment they, we, uh, HB should be helping us, but we, we, we are going to need some help. Having said all that, there's another thing that we are doing. Um, but before I talk about that, I'm going to talk things we are, one of the things we are not doing this year because we are uh, just too swamped. Uh, and that is the career fair. We were hoping to do the career fair uh, in conjunction with this year's virtual convention. 
and we just don't have the um, the uh, re uh, the resources to do it. I mean, uh, one person is sick, one person is moving, one person, two people just got new jobs. We just don't have the bandwidth to do it right now. But we are hoping mm -hmm. to do this next year uh, as part of the, um, and we're hoping that we can get some support and and um, uh, the, you know, Dan has said he would be willing to help us in certain ways. So we're hoping that that will happen. We just can't do that this year. We just don't have this, the, uh, uh, there's too many of us who are going through craziness in our lives and we just don't have the time to do it, but we are looking forward to doing it next year, but we are doing this year. Uh, again, I had a conversation with folks from next gen and what I'm hearing, and I've heard this, I've heard this on and off, and I'm sure other folks have heard too, that a lot of people are either having trouble landing jobs or keeping jobs because of accessibility issues as somebody mentioned before. And, um, and so what we are going to do beginning next Tuesday, I believe a week from today, is we're gonna begin hosting town halls and encouraging people to sort of share their experiences about how technology's helped and hindered their, their experience in the workplace, whether it be finding a job or keeping a job or whatever. And I think what we're going to find, based on what I've heard, is that many people are being stuck where they are because of technology issues or having to leave because, uh, talking about my experience for a second, tutoring University of Missouri student-athletes, most of the technology that's being used I, is not accessible. Uh, and I, I'm not saying this because of my, uh, you know, my experience, um, you know, people, um, uh, the, the, the accessible technology folks I'm working with also agree this stuff isn't accessible. So it just makes my life a whole lot more complicated and requires people to do things for me that I should be able to do myself if the technology were accessible. And in the long term, that can't be healthy. You know, um, it doesn't help my opportunities for promotion if I can't do, you know, the, the I can do the tutoring part. That's great. But I can't do the, the paperwork involved very well. And I suspect there are other people having similar kinds of experiences that, that I am. So we are hoping over the next few months to organize these town halls for people to share their experiences. And maybe from that, we can, we, we can provide some direction for ACB national office and ACB as an organization to address these issues. This is a huge issue for next gen people. I mean, I, I'm getting this message loud and clear from students and from people using scholarships. I just went through um, uh, scholarship applications over the past three mornings at four in the morning. And what, what I'm hearing over and over again in applications is one of the major struggles they're having is technology issues, getting their, you know, to be able to get their, their work done. Um, and um, I think this is a problem. It's not just employment, it's healthcare too. I, you know, we've talked about this as well. And I think this is an issue, in my opinion, and I think from a lot of people uh, that uh, the ACB, is, we as an ACB organization, are sort of falling behind on, and I'm not sure precisely what the answer is, but I think we need to do something. Uh, so that's what Employment Committee is doing. Um, it's kind of an exciting time. I'm really grateful uh, to, to Dan's great credit. He's come on to our meeting several times. We've gotten uh, now representation from the national office. And um, we are really, you know, uh, I, you know, uh, Paul, you know, I've complained about this for, for months, for years, that we haven't gotten support from the national office. Right. We are now, and I'm really grateful for the national office and for Dan, especially for doing that. And so now what we're trying to figure out, all of us, is how can that be improved upon? Uh, one of the things we're hoping they can do is connect with some employers, you know, they, that they run into upon occasion that, that might be willing to be, you know, to interview with us uh, and maybe work with us further. 
you know, I'd love to know what from these employers, you know, what are the things they're looking for they're not finding, you know, that we might be able to help them find or, you know, alert people in the community that this is what they're looking for they're not finding. You know, I'd like to know that kind of information so that we can we can come as come alongside these these employers who are committed to hiring blind folk uh, and say, okay, how, how can we work together to make it more likely you can find good candidates? So those are the kinds of things that we are doing. Uh, and I'm happy to answer any questions uh, that people may have. Do you have any plans at the moment um, for the convention aside from the the one program you've talked about, which relates to um, which relates to uh, AI Art- and and employment? Uh, yeah, yeah, well, uh, uh, there's another one that we're involved with, which has to do with next gen is running, which has to which with the title is now you have the job. Now what? Or so you have the job. Now what? Mm-hmm. And, yep. it, you know, uh, and it's going to be, you know, uh, the whole issue of, you know, getting, you know, uh, getting, you know, uh, acculturated for the workplace and technology issues and who else knows what um, is going to come up in that session. But the goal is to have three or four people um, sort of talk about their experiences who are recently hired um, and maybe somebody from a, with a human resources perspective to sort of talk about this issue. Mm-hmm. Sort of the same uh, panel structures we're doing with the artificial intelligence component. So those are the two sessions we know we are doing. Uh, you know, the convention deadline is, you know, still a week away that, you know, something else may come up, but those are the two things we are, we are looking at. And again, next year, we really are looking, we're really planning to do the uh, career fair. It's something that we think is important. We just couldn't do it this year. Do you think there is, um, and, and, and this may be a self-fulfilling question, but do you think there is much value for people being at the ACB convention in person this year from an employment standpoint? No, to be perfectly blunt, I don't. That doesn't mean to say there, there aren't reasons to go to the convention for other reasons, but for the, from the employment perspective, I, I think now that I think about it, I think the, uh, so you have a job now, what will be in person so, you know, right. uh, so, the, the, but here, here, here's the problem that um, I'm, I'm hearing, I'm getting an earful from next gen. They are less likely to come to conventions than we older people are for a number of reasons, not the least of which is those of them who have jobs often can't get time off from jobs to go to the convention. You know, not to mention the fact that they often, you know, sometimes the finances are such they can't afford it. They're raising kids. Uh, and, uh, uh, you know, so, and I don't have an answer, but I do think we need to sort of take that consideration as we're as we're as we're thinking about, you know, uh, supporting young folks within the within the organization. That expecting them to come to convention, I'm not sure is practical. Marianne, questions for for Peter? No, I don't. I think you've. Um, I I think your focus is spot on, and um, mm-hmm. I'm not next gen, but I'm job seeking, and it's it's um, a different. It's a different world from when I had to last do it. So I think you're yeah, so Peter, have, go, go ahead. ahead. Paul. No, I was going to go ask ahead. Marianne, are you are you experiencing this artificial intelligence thing as well? And you're in I'm your finding job that I'm finding the application process is horrific. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah, the whole process is is way different, and I'm a pretty good Jaws user, so um, yeah. No, I, I think it's a major problem, yeah. and and uh, I don't. You know, and I think um, I, I, I just give you an example. I'm applying for jobs at the University of Missouri right now. And the only way I can apply for jobs there 
is to have, uh, I've, I've made friends with one of the human resource people, one of the recruiters, and I send her the information. She does it for me. You know, that, yeah. that's, that's a viable solution, but it's, but it's not practical in the long run. Well, what scares me about that solution is if I can't even do the application, what are the chances that all their others, anything else is going to be um, accessible? So I get no, no, really it, it, discouraged. It, 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 no, it is really discouraging. And, mm-hmm. I, you know, this is this is why I think we need, I'm not sure what ACB's solution is, but I think we need to get involved. And, uh, you know, for people like me, who's 66 years old, who is still looking for a job, but, I'm you know, I'm at, I'm, at, I'm at the tail end of my, yeah, you're 61. I'm at the yeah. tail end of my work history. Yeah. It doesn't matter as much to me, but it sure matters to people who are 20 years younger, 30 years younger, 40 yeah. years younger. Absolutely. Uh, and we, we need, to, I think we really need to do more with it than we actually are doing. I just I don't quite know what that is at the moment. And, and let me say more about that, Paul. I'm, I'm curious about your take on this. So one of the, what, what, one of the solutions I think is, you know, to, to get the regs done, right. To, you know, to get it, to get the accessibility regs done by the Department of Justice. And, you know, and I know that's been an ongoing process for years and it hasn't been done. And, you know, the Biden administration is promising to do it. And I think that will help. But the problem that I find myself, and I've said this several times on the show and other shows, is we are in a political environment that we weren't in when the ADA was passed, right? We are, we are in a fractured uh, political situation where it isn't at all clear to me, and I know the Republicans uh, were played, played a lead role again, the ADA passed, but it's a different Republican party than it was 30 years ago. So I'm not sure how legislation and, uh, is, is going to help this situation. Um, I mean, there are things that could be done if Congress was more amenable to what we need, but I'm not sure they are. In fact, I'm afraid that if we uh, propose something that might open a can of worms that might help hurt the situation rather than help it. So I think think the solution is gonna be more with working with employers and maybe working with um, um, technology providers and working with them to solve problems rather than trying to get legislation passed. Because uh, I don't see legislation being passed anytime soon. You know, uh, I, I worry about going backwards more than going forwards politically. Uh, and, you know, that's my take on things. Maybe I'm too um, too pessimistic on, on the political realm, but that's the way I see it. I live in Missouri. So, you know, you know Missouri is a, is a very conservative state these days. I think that, at least from my perspective, <clears throat> the... The issue probably isn't legislation, at least not not for me. I I because I think getting any legislation passed nowadays is is uh, a, an an extreme unlikelihood. Yeah, I think so. Uh, but but I think that if we're talking about one piece of legislation that's kind of overarching that 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 talks to web accessibility and that sort of thing. It seems to me that if we can get that single bill passed, um, we're probably going to be further along in terms of then creating an ability that we may have to go to the court system and say, this is what the law says, and they're not mm-hmm. doing it. Right. I, I, but I guess the question I have for you is, is that how likely is that to happen? And I guess and here's my follow up question with that. One of the one of the things that that concerns me about sort of the way ACB, at least the way I when I read the materials, that we have a, a bias towards Democrats. Okay, 
I know we have plenty of strong conservatives within the organization. And it seems to me we should be working with, with said conservatives to figure out how we can tailor a message to encourage Republican folks to support something like this. Yeah, I, I know it, there it, are it, folks it, out there. There are folks out there who believe that. I'm not sure I'm one of them. Um, Marion, do you think do you think that that ACB is is an inherently Democrat oriented organization? I don't know. As a host, I see a lot of both. Um, I see a lot yeah. of very conservative Christians, and I see um, some Democrats. Um, but I, um, the very first legislative seminar that I ever attended in 2007, I think. I said the same thing. I said, what we need to do is to learn to tailor the message as to whether you're talking to a liberal, a Democrat, or a conservative Republican. There's a different message, there's a different way to go about convincing them of your, um, of the point. Um, Sure. And and I absolutely agree with that. I, I absolutely agree with that. I think, and, and, and if you're saying, Peter, and maybe that is what you're saying, that we don't do a good job of helping people tailor messages for conservatives. I would probably agree with that. Yeah, I, I, that's what I'm saying. And I agree with Marianne. I think there are plenty of strong conservatives in the organization. I'm just not sure that 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 uh, we use them to our benefit. I think we sort of, I mean, I, I, whenever I see our leg- legislative imperatives and I see, um, you know, who signed on to these things, they're almost exclusively Democrats. No. No, I mean we we've 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 got. I'm, I'm some... talking about the past ten years, Paul. I know yeah. we had this we had this argument before. Uh, yeah, you know, um, I, I don't mean to interrupt you. I, I so uh, please oh, please you're keep good. going. No, you're good. Keep going. So I, I just think that we you know we need to figure out a way of of finding ways, and I'd love to get a panel of sort of conservative people just to have this conversation. How can we better tailor our message? To, to conservatives as a whole, who I don't think have an understanding of, uh, of the challenges we're experiencing, and to legislators specifically, how could we better tailor that message so we can be heard better? Because I, yeah. th- I think that's a major problem that we are. Well, I, I, I think it is, but I'm not. I, I, th- I, think, I think it's an interesting question. Um, uh, if. I- if Sorry, go Sorry. ahead. Go no, ahead, Marianne. You, you, well, I'll just say this real quickly. The other problem, Peter, is that many of the conservatives in our organization are not in the position of looking. They're they're older, they're older people who um aren't aren't where we are, sure. um, aren't on our page. Right. So I don't know. That's the first problem is finding an audience of of conservatives that are on the the job seeking page and, you know, um, the web accessibility page. You know, I, I think that's a, um, a challenge in and of itself. And sort of. I would I would think that there I mean, I, I'm thinking of someone like a Ray Campbell, for example, I, I, I just know, you know, who, you know, who has a job, who struggled with the whole employment thing and is doing pretty well for himself these days. Um, I, you know, I, I have a feeling he has something to say to us that we're not hearing. He's moved um, much more moderate. When, I, I, I understand that. Yeah, I, I, he's a much more moderate conservative <laughs> than he used to be. <laughs> I know, I, I get that. But I, I, but I, Mary, your point is well taken. Yeah. But I still think there got to be people out there um, who, and I'm not just talking about the employment issue. I'm talking about any issue at all. Yeah. You know, we were all talking yeah, about. Yeah, you know, you're old, right. You're right. The blind, the blind old age thing you guys were talking about. 
yeah. you know, you know, part, part of the reason that we're not getting the resources, I think, is because um, there's a certain percentage of folks, politicians who just don't, don't, get don't it. they don't get it. Oh. And so the question, I, I don't care what the issue is. You're right. I mean, for me, the issue is employment because that's the issue I'm passionate right, about. Right, right. But, but, you know, I think, I think we need to find a way of, of, of um, saying, okay, you know, do you agree with our approach? And if so, how can we better tailor the message to your audience? Because I have no clue. That's a good, you know, it'd, I'm, it'd be I'm a not, very I'm interesting not, I'm panel. Not part of, I'm not part of that audience. Right. I you know, I, I have be a very interesting panel. Yeah. So I, I think I would, I think I would argue this though, Peter, um, it isn't it isn't only issues that concern blind people that it is difficult to get legislation passed about i i would argue that um getting legislation passed period is yes, oh, is virtually impossible at the moment i agree with that and, and so to particularize too much on um the the specific issues of folks who are blind or visually impaired is probably not um, in the long run going to make as much difference as it might on the face of it appear to. Mm -hmm. it, seem, it seems to me that there's another direction that, that we ought to seriously consider. Uh, in fact, another two different directions. One of them is recognizing the situation that we have, actually coming up with some imperatives and coming up with some initiatives for those imperatives that clearly recognize the narrow range of space that there is available for getting legislation passed and and fitting our legislation into that into those spots as long as we stick to um, initiatives uh, that that are as broad as ours are and that can be interpreted as much as they can both conservatively and liberally i think we are likely not to get anywhere um and fin finally i guess the last thing that i would say about this is i think i think the other thing that we that that we that we need to do um is spend some time talking to legislators in ways that we haven't in the past. That is, don't go to them with legislative imperatives. Go to them instead with, this is what life is like for people who are blind in the 21st century. We just wanted to tell you about it. I think right. that's a great point. I think it's a great idea too. Yeah. Uh, you know, and, and say, okay, you know, here, here's her challenges. How does that tie into what you're working on right now? Exactly. Right. Let's them make that point. determination, though. Right. And 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 essentially, and and essentially, we are so good at preaching that particular sermon that it seems to me that we're going to be far better heard than we are expressing the intricacies of specific legislation. Yeah, I I, I think that's right. Uh, and, and I'd say I, I, my, my sort of take on this, and this comes from someone who spent many years working on inter interdisciplinary grants, you know, getting people of diverse sure. backgrounds to come together to get stuff done. To me, I think that's the way the, the progress is going to be made, you know, finding it, you know, how, you know, doing the same thing you suggested, Paul, 
but reaching out to other groups besides legislators, you know, employers, for example. Okay, what are you looking for? Here's what we're what we're experiencing. What, you know, where, where do our interests <coughs> align? You know, uh, how can we address this technology issue? You know, to me, I, it, it's a mammoth problem, and it's I, I fear we're going to be left in the dust if we're not careful. Um, you know, there is a really there is a really interesting website called msite.org. Um, I think I've talked to you about it before, Peter, but if you haven't looked at it, you really should. msite.org. Yes, I'm and, sorry. And I recommend that that everybody take a look at this because because it is so far out of the box for what you would expect. Um, it's it's essentially uh, a site that has lots of opportunities for or appears to have lots of opportunities for blind people to get training um, at no cost to them for for employers to uh, to post jobs and and a range of other things. But what's amazing is that all of these tend to be relatively high tech jobs and high quality employment placements and truly effective um, uh, technology related uh, positions, a lot of them. But what is fascinating to me is that the entity that is running this site is National Industries for the Blind. Yes, yes. And you said N as in Nancy site, correct? No, M as in Mike. Ah, okay, thank you. M and then uh, uh, S-I-T-E, right? Yes, yes. Okay, dot, dot, uh, whatever. Um, Yeah, no, in truth, I have not looked at, I I heard her interview, was it last year at the convention? And she was fascinating, the person who was running it. And I actually reached out to her and never got got a response back. But, you know, um, but but that doesn't mean I can't do it again. The, the reason that, that, that I raise it tonight is because it's exactly the kind of thing um, that you're talking about and, and to a degree that I'm talking about as well. Um, that is creating what, what amounts to what you would describe as a high-level centralized resource that claims to have expertise concerning how you adapt jobs so that can, they can be most easily done by people who are blind, and at the same time, um, uh, adapting uh, blind people so that they are capable of handling the kinds of um, experiences they need to have in order to maintain their jobs. Yeah, no, th- th- uh, thank you, Paul, for reminding me of that. I, I really should check that site out, and and we probably should interview that. Try to get somebody who runs that site to join uh, to, to get on our podcast. Exactly. Um, uh, I think that would be a really good idea. So that's a project maybe, for me. Maybe we can share interviewing on a Tuesday topic sometime. Maybe, uh, you know, <laughs> certainly a possibility. Um, that would work. So, so, so as a, you know, so it's resources like that, that, that might help us and, and, and right. will help us. Uh, and I think, um, you know, I, I guess my plea to ACB's organization, and again, I'm far from being young these days, but, you know, uh, I, you know, I'm hearing so much, uh, angst from the next gen crowd that the issues that ACB is focusing on are not relevant to them, and especially you know the employment issue. I mean, it's just you know every time I talk to these folk, you know they're talking about employment, and so you know I don't quite know what the answer is yet, but I'm hoping that over time we'll come we'll come up with something that seems that seems to be practical. Um, uh, so you know, tell us 
tell us once more the names of some of the podcasts that you guys have up there. So we, we the main podcast that we're doing all these interviews is uh, is called Let's Get to Work. And if you go to the ACV website, click on committees, click on employment, and then there's a link from the employment committee that will take you right to our podcasts. And you can listen to them and download them and do all the good things you can do with podcasts. And I hope um, that you all, uh, if you like what you're hearing, share them, share the link, share the podcasts. Um, we have a really nice diverse array of blind folks doing you know, different kinds of things. Um, I've mentioned some of them. Uh, one of the th- one of the interviews I did with this was this really fascinating, like ninety year old uh, uh, fundamentalist Princeton fundamentalist preacher who was blind. Um, absolutely fascinating about how he got the job in the '60s and the challenges he experienced and the challenges he overcame. And um, uh, sorry, hush. Um, hold on for a second. Thank you. Uh, so, you know, and, and there are all kinds of things there. You know, I'm interviewed about my work as sort of as I, I described. Um, uh, I, there's a person who is it who 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 uh, counsels, um, you know, uh, teenagers, uh, young adults, n- not disabled and young adults with with who are experiencing challenges. You know, it runs the gamut of stuff that blind folks are doing that a lot of folks simply aren't aware of. And uh, yep. so we're hoping that you will. Um, I, and I'm really proud of the, those interviews. I think we've done a really good job with that. Um, and we look forward to sort of turning a corner and doing more interviews, um, you know, focusing on, you know, more fo- focusing more on the employer side of things uh, and, uh, and and those services that are that are, you know, that are that are valuable resources for, for disabled folks looking for jobs. Mm-hmm. So the finest student, if I'm a scholarship winner. Um, you know, I, I, I hopefully will know about these things and take advantage of them. You know, I think yep. there's, there's just a lack of knowledge about this stuff. Uh, and if we do nothing else but make those things more available, that, that's, 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 a, that's something. Yep. Um, but I, I do worry about the technology piece. I, I, it really, um, I don't want to say keep, it keeps you up at night because lots of other things do that. But it is something that does really worry me that if we can't find a way of, you know, of, of benefiting, uh, you know, learning, you know, it, you know, it's, it's a both and thing, making sure our skills are, are up to date and making sure, I mean, the problem that I have with um, the technology I use is it works for a while and then they update it and all the accessible features go away. Mm-hmm. You know, I mean, for yep. me, that's a major, really ir- irritant. It um, is. And I'm not, I'm not the only one, you know, I, I know other people are having the same kinds of problems and I know at least three or four people who, you know, who had to leave their jobs, who are very capable, strong people who just got tired of the technology and, and had a hard time keeping up with the paperwork and finally said, I've had enough of this. I'm leaving. What, yeah, a, what, no a, waste, what, a, what a waste of talent. Yeah. Yep. You know, uh, what a waste of talent yeah. and, yep. what a, and, a, and a loss of talent from the, from the employer end, you know, uh, and uh, you know, it, it just drives me nuts when I hear stories like this, um, uh, you know, and anyway, uh, I, I've, I've ranted a lot about this. I'm sure I'll do more of it. Um, but you know, those are the things that that we are that we are you know that we as committee are wrestling with right now. And you know, we're 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 far more ahead than we were a year ago when I spoke with you, yep. Paul. And I'm yep. really pleased with that. And I just hope we can continue that momentum. Peter, thank you very much for being with us tonight on behalf of the Employment Committee. In Thanks 30 seconds or so, tell us who the members are. Um, I can't do this off the top of my head, but we have uh, 
Brooke Justed is the co-chair. Uh, Colorado. Melanie, Melanie uh, from Colorado. Mel Snowy from Arizona is on the thing. Yep. Karen Youth from the president of the Working Council from Oregon is on there. Uh, Rosanna Beaudry, I think, from New York is on there. Um, uh, uh, there's a person who's I'm drawing a blank on who's a former human resource person from Texas. Who's Sarah? Sarah, somebody rather is on there, and I'm sure forgetting somebody else. But it's it's a good group of people. We're fine. I'm, I'm Peter. Really thank pleased. you very much. Thanks um, for having everyone, us. On. I know there. I know there are a few other hands up, and I'm sorry that we haven't been able to get to you this evening. Um, these topics will come up again, and I hope you'll come back next week. We are really honored to have uh, our executive director, uh, Eric Bridges, as our guest on Tuesday Topics. Next Tuesday will be the very last day for Eric as uh, working for ACB. As most of you, I'm sure, know, Eric is going on to be the executive director of the American Foundation for the Blind. And we're looking forward to an opportunity to ask him about his time at ACB and about what he's looking at for the future. And in the meantime, Marion and Herbie and Paul all say good night. Good night. <laughs>